Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be bringing you the case of Alfred Polchow in Oceanside, California. Let's get right to it. Nineteen fifteen was a different time. Babe Ruth had hit his first home run while still with the Boston Red Sox. Silent films were still a thing. Henry Ford rolled his one millionth car off the assembly line in Detroit, Michigan. And of course, the world was at war as the Allies took on the Central Powers. It was a troubling time and all the nations were at unrest. But on September 28, 1915, in Queens, New York, amidst the chaos, Christian and Caroline Polchow welcomed a baby boy. They named him Alfred Christian Polchow. And just like that, a legend was born. According to census records, Alfred was the firstborn son. His parents would go on to have another son, followed by a daughter. Times were tough. According to ushistory.com, when the war ended in 1918, the United States suffered a recession. Some historians and economists believe the end of World War I was the beginning of the chain of events that led to the great market crash of 1929. American families struggled. And likely, the Polchows were no different. They made do with what they had, and everyone in the family contributed to survive. By 1939, Alfred was 24, still living in Queens with his family, and working for the New York City Board of Transportation on the railroad. The entire world changed in 1939 when Adolf Hitler invaded Poland that September. Great Britain and France declared war on Germany, and soon nearly the whole world would be at war again. Over the next six years, the conflict would take more lives and destroy more land and property around the globe than any previous war. Six million Jewish people would be murdered at the hands of Nazi Germany before it was over. The world would never be the same again. According to History Cooperative, the United States entered World War II on December 11, 1941, 
days after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Just under a month later, in January of 1942, according to military records, Alfred Polchow was drafted in the United States Army. Between the draft and Alfred actually heading off to war, he was able to marry the love of his life, Marion, in July of 1942 in Queens, New York. At some point, Alfred headed overseas and fought in World War II, serving his country proudly. He was enlisted in the Army for three years and got out in 1946. In May of 1947, Marion and Alfred welcomed a son, his father's namesake, Alfred Jr., Something about military service must have stuck with Alfred Sr. because on September 8, 1947, he enlisted in the United States Air Force. Alfred had a beautiful wife, a son, a new career, and for a while everything was peaceful. But it wasn't long before Alfred had to kiss his son and wife goodbye and head off to war yet again. According to EisenhowerLibrary.gov, on June 25, 1950, the North Korean People's Army invaded South Korea in a coordinated attack. Two days later, the United States pledged its support to South Korea and officially entered the Korean War. Alfred Polchow answered his country's call yet again and deployed overseas to fight a war that claimed the lives of nearly 5 million people, 40,000 of them American troops. After three long years, an armistice was signed on July 27, 1953 and the fighting stopped. The war was officially over. American troops returned home, and the start of nearly 10 years of peacetime began. The Pouchows welcomed another son, Richard, in 1955. Alfred continued his career in the Air Force, rising to the rank of major, before retiring on July 31, 1963. He, Marion, and their two sons settled down in California, where Alfred went back to work for the Department of Transportation in Southern California, also known as Caltrans, where he worked for 10 more years before retiring again in 1974. In 1985, the Polchals suffered the tragic loss of their son Richard when he was just 30 years old. Marion and Alfred picked up the pieces as best they could and tried to enjoy their golden years, eventually moving into a senior retirement community in Oceanside. It was beautiful, peaceful, and seemingly safe. The perfect place for the pair to kick their feet back and enjoy the things they had both worked so hard for all their lives. They had each other, the mild weather, scenic views, their grandchildren, and maybe even time to squeeze in a little shuffleboard. And for years, that's exactly what they did. According to court documents, that all changed on October 2, 2000, at approximately 10.56 a.m., when a 911 call was placed from the Polchow residence. It was Marion, and she was frantic. Alfred wasn't responding. Oceanside Police Officer Irwin arrived at the scene just minutes later at 11.04, but unfortunately, there was no helping Alfred. He was lying on the floor next to the couch, already deceased. There was nothing the officer could do for Alfred, so he turned his attention to Marion to find out exactly what had happened. But Marion was clearly distraught. Her husband of 58 years had just died. She was seemingly confused as she recalled to Officer Irwin what had just happened. She told him she saw a woman enter and leave her bedroom, and then she came out to find Alfred curled up on the couch. 
Her story didn't make a whole lot of sense. If there was a woman there, where was she now, and who was she? The officer thought that maybe Marion was delusional. After all, she did suffer from some medical issues that could affect her cognitive abilities, and she had just gone through a traumatic situation. Unable to gain much information from Marion, Officer Irwin contacted Alfred's doctor and learned that Alfred was 85 years old and suffered from a heart condition. All signs were pointing towards this being a natural death. And initially, that's exactly what police officers believed, that Alfred had died as a result of his heart condition. Arrangements were made for Alfred's body, and the officer decided he'd wait to talk to Marion again that following day. When he got back to the Polchows, things had calmed down a bit, and Marion appeared more coherent. The officer was there just to finalize some paperwork and see if Marion could talk a little bit more about what had happened that previous night. He never expected what Marion would tell him next. Marion informed Officer Irwin that some of her rings from her bedroom and costume jewelry she kept in the kitchen was missing, and further, someone had fraudulently tried to use one of their bank cards. It was at that exact moment Irwin no longer believed Alfred died of natural causes. But what had actually happened? He asked Marion to walk him through that morning. She recalled that they were both lying in bed when the doorbell rang. Alfred got out of bed and went to the door, returning to the bedroom moments later to tell Marion that a woman was at the door and she needed to use the phone to call a taxi. Knowing Alfred could handle it and not quite ready to get out of bed yet because she wasn't feeling well, Marion stayed in bed while Alfred went back out to the front of the duplex where the kitchen and living room were located to assist the woman. After some time passed, Alfred came back into the bedroom. He appeared to Marion to be upset, and then he went back into the living room. Marion drifted off to sleep, but was woken up to a woman in a white t-shirt her dark hair pulled back, standing in her bedroom, looking at jewelry and credit cards that she and her husband kept on top of their dresser. The mystery woman then went back to the living room and then left the house through the back door. When Alfred didn't return back to the bedroom, Marion got up and went to the living room to see where Alfred was. That's when she found him curled up on the sofa, appearing to be asleep. When she tried to wake him, Alfred did not respond. At the same time, a taxi cab arrived to the Polchow's home. The driver came to the front door and told Marion that someone had called a cab to her address. Marion told the driver that maybe the woman that had been there had called for him. This cab driver was standing in the doorway looking through the screen door when he saw Marion trying to rouse Alfred again. And he watched as Alfred's lifeless body slipped from the couch to the floor. Marion yelled for him to call for an ambulance, but this guy suggested she place the call herself and then left. Of course, we know the rest. Marion called 911 and Alfred was pronounced dead. Even with all these new details, the story was still a little odd. So police got down to business and started investigating. And once the autopsy results were in, there would be no doubt that Alfred Polchow didn't die from natural causes. He was murdered.
Hey y'all, if you're like me, then you love trying new teas. Sweet tea is a staple in my house, but sometimes drinking the same old tea gets boring and you just need to spice things up a little. Man, am I glad I found Plum Deluxe Teas. From bold black teas, relaxing herbal blends, dessert teas, or fun floral flavors, there's a delicious tea for everyone. Every loose leaf tea is hand-blended fresh using only the best ingredients. Plum Deluxe Teas is a family-owned business. Everything is made and shipped from Portland, Oregon, and many of the ingredients are locally sourced. There's no soy, no dairy, no gluten, and no hidden sugars. They are the only tea subscription where you can specify ingredient allergies and get no caffeine. I mean, I'm going to worry about you a little bit if you ditch the caffeine, but it is an option. There are too many flavors for me to list, but I've not tasted a flavor I didn't like. And my absolute favorite thing is their honey dust. What is honey dust, you ask? It's a magical combination of dried, pulverized raw honey and raw cane sugar that dissolves quickly into hot or cold beverages. You can even sprinkle it onto baked goods. Never again will I be stuck with unsweet tea or viciously trying to stir in some artificial sweetener loaded with chemicals that just won't dissolve. So, what are you waiting for? Visit plumdeluxe.com slash listen and use code LOT to save 12% on your first order today. Tea also makes a great gift. Once again, that's plumdeluxe.com slash listen, code LOT. The autopsy revealed petechial hemorrhaging on his face and the inside of his eyes. There were abrasions on his cheek consistent with fingernail marks. There was a white line of demarcation around Alfred's lower neck, consistent with the ligature being placed across his neck, with abrasions near the white line where Alfred had attempted to remove the ligature. The upper left horn of his thyroid cartilage was fractured. Alfred had been strangled to death. He also sustained other minor injuries that the medical examiner determined were probably caused by blunt force or a fall during the altercation. Alfred Polchow had not gone down without a fight. But he was 85 years old. With two decades of military service, the stress on his body from fighting in two wars, followed by manual labor at the Department of Transportation and a heart condition, it had all taken its toll. He was unable to defend himself. Whoever had attacked him must have known that. Investigators decided to keep Alfred's cause and manner of death close to the vest and let the general public believe that this 85-year-old man had simply passed away from a heart condition, all while they tried to track down the stolen jewelry and credit card to which would hopefully lead them back to this mystery woman with the white t-shirt. They needed her to believe that they weren't investigating so she would be comfortable enough to use the missing visa check card. And hot damn was she ever. While police were still on scene at the Polchow home, when they still believed Alfred's death was due to natural causes, someone swiped the check card three times beginning at 11.32 a.m. at a gas station ATM in Vista, trying to withdraw $100. 
roughly 40 minutes after the initial 911 call had been placed. All those attempts were unsuccessful, but they didn't give up there. There were five more attempts at two other ATMs. Again, unsuccessful due to an incorrect PIN number being entered. While the thief couldn't get the cash, they were successful in using the check card to place eight long-distance phone calls. The first call was placed at 12.02 p.m. to a room in the barracks at Camp Pendleton, which is located right there in Oceanside, followed by another call to this room. Six calls were placed from a number belonging to a woman who lived in nearby Vista. These calls were all placed to numbers with the area code 925, which covers the area of Concord and Pittsburgh, California. And the woman who owned the phone the calls were placed from told police she knew no one in that area and hadn't placed any of those calls. But she knew who probably did. It was her friend, Yolanda Harden, who had been temporarily staying at her apartment at the time. She had borrowed her phone. I mean, likely excuse, right? However, once police tracked down those phone numbers, they found the owners all had something in common. They knew Yolanda Harden. The first two calls placed to Camp Pendleton were to Harden's then-boyfriend. The following six were to her relatives. It seemed Yolanda had gone on a calling spree that would rival a telemarketer whose rent is past due. She called her boyfriend, auntie, and possibly even her third cousin on her mama's side using a stolen credit card from a murder scene, which led police right back to her. Police arrested 25-year-old Yolanda Harden, but not for murder. She was arrested on fraud charges and booked at the Los Colinas Jail in Santee County. And they continued investigating. It was discovered that on October 2nd, at 1.35 p.m., two of Marion's missing rings were pawned for $75 each at a pawn shop in Oceanside. Who pawned them? Yolanda Harden. And she had not only presented her driver's license as identification, but she had also signed the pawn slips and left her thumbprints behind in ink, as was the procedure for that pawn shop. She might not have left her fingerprints at the scene, but they were all over the slips, tracing back to Marion's rings. It took nearly four months for investigators to piece together all of the evidence. I mean, they had time. Harden was keeping her caught warm at the county jail. On January 30, 2001, according to the North County Times, she was charged with murder with special circumstances, residential robbery, residential burglary, and elder abuse. She was scheduled to be arraigned days later, but there was a slight delay caused by medical issues. As it turned out, Harden was pregnant and being treated in the infirmary at the jail due to complications. The following week, Yolanda Harden stood in court and formally faced her charges. The North County Times began reporting on the case when Harden was arrested on the murder charges and officers made a public plea for anyone with information to come forward. Remember, police didn't even release the fact that Alfred had been murdered until just prior to Harden's second arrest. And come forward, people did. Eyewitness testimony from other residents at the senior retirement home provided police with a play-by-play -play of Hardin's actions just prior to the murder. 
Two residents positively identified Yolanda Hardin as the woman they witnessed near the Polchow residence on the morning of October 2nd. The first recalled that at 9 or 9.30 a.m., she encountered a woman she later identified as Hardin walking in the retirement community towards the Polchow's home. According to court documents, Hardin was wearing dark clothing, her hair pulled back, and she had a piece of lined notebook paper in her hands. This witness testified that Hardin told her that she was a caregiver and was looking for a certain address. The witness carried on about her day, walking to another home in the community to walk the dog of another resident. At about 10 a.m. after her dog walking duties were complete, she was headed back home when she spotted Hardin again, this time riding in a truck with a male driver through the neighborhood. As the truck drove by, the women locked eyes and the witness would report that Hardin stared her down. This witness had seen Hardin's photo in the paper and contacted police. Another witness and resident of the community reported to police that she had seen a woman matching Hardin's description standing on a street corner near her home. She recalled that the woman seemed to be agitated. This witness thought the whole thing was suspicious enough that she busted out her notebook and documented everything she had seen, and later reported it to the neighborhood watch. She noted that the woman was very busty, wearing a white t-shirt with a low neckline. Her dark hair pulled back tightly, with navy blue joggers with a white stripe down the side. She was holding a dark jacket that seemed to match the pants with some white on it. She was also carrying a plastic grocery bag that appeared to have something heavy at the bottom. She was watching to see where the woman went, but then her telephone rang. Startled, she got up to answer it and talked for a minute or two on the phone. When she returned, the woman was gone. But she watched just a little while longer and saw a taxi drive by. With such a detailed description, police searched Hardin's mother's home looking for the clothing the women described and they recovered clothing matching the exact description the ladies had given. Time ticked on, investigators continued to build their case, and Hardin remained in jail. That was until April 8, 2001, when Hardin escaped from custody. According to court documents, it all went down after Hardin, who was eight months pregnant at the time, complained of stomach pain to medical professionals at the jail. She was transported by the sheriff's department to Alvarado Hospital for treatment. Sheriff's deputies guarded her until late in the afternoon, when according to the North County Times, a private security company took over, as was hospital policy. About 6 o'clock the next morning, the guard released Hardin from her restraints and allowed her to use the bathroom on the maternity ward. In this particular hospital, the bathroom was shared with an adjoining room, so you had two hospital rooms, one bathroom in the middle. As soon as Hardin made it to the bathroom, she just kept right on walking, straight through the adjoining room, down the hallway, and out an emergency exit, which triggered a door alarm. The alarm rang as the guard and a nurse made entry into the bathroom to check on Hardin. But it was too late. She was on the run. This escape prompted the sheriff's office and the hospital to rethink their security guard policy, which according to the sheriff's office commander at the time, as he spoke to the North County Times, was that deputies only guarded inmates who were high risk for violence, who had an escape history, 
or if information led them to believe they may try to escape while hospitalized. Uh, so the alleged murderer of an 85-year-old man wasn't considered a high risk for violence? The commander went on to say, and I quote, What we're looking at is lowering the guideline to include all murder suspects or violent inmates. Those people would also be guarded by deputy sheriffs. I sure as hell hope so. Hardin's little escape from the law didn't last long, and six hours later, she was tracked down by a sheriff's jail investigator at the home of relatives in nearby Escondido. Her little six-hour vacation landed her another felony charge. The prosecutor spoke to the North County Times after Hardin's apprehension and stated that staff members at Los Colinas Women's Jail suspected that Hardin may be injuring herself and putting the life of her baby at risk to delay the case. In November of 2001, the trial began. Prosecutors laid out the evidence the police had uncovered. They walked the jury through the investigation step by step, from their initial belief that Alfred had died from natural causes, through the autopsy, the fraud, theft, phone calls, and Yolanda's escape. The ladies from the community were called to the stand. And the prosecution introduced a pattern of behavior. You see, this wasn't the first time Yolanda Hardin had taken advantage of the elderly. It's just the first time she killed to do it. Two years prior, way back in Texas, Hardin was working as a caregiver for a company that provided care to the elderly. In July of 1998, Hardin provided care for Miss Ethel Woolard's neighbor. On the morning of July 23, 1998, Hardin knocked on Miss Ethel's door and told her she had run out of gas and needed to call her boyfriend. Miss Ethel invited her in to use the phone. As Hardin used the telephone, a TV service man arrived. Y'all remember those? And Miss Ethel was distracted for a moment. Anyhow, when Hardin was done with the phone, she asked Miss Ethel to use the bathroom. This is giving me if you give a mouse a cookie vibes already. Well, when Hardin got done in the bathroom, she hung around a little while, making small talk with Miss Ethel. She left a short time after their chit-chat, and about 20 to 25 minutes later, Miss Ethel got a call from a check cashing service stating that Yolanda Hardin had attempted to cash a check for $395 from Miss Ethel made out to Hardin for housekeeping services. Mrs. Ethel informed them that she had written no such check. She then decided to look at her checkbook that was inside her purse and noticed that several more checks were missing. Needless to say, things weren't looking good for Yolanda Hardin. The defense argued that circumstantial evidence led police to a series of wrong conclusions in the case. Eyewitness testimony couldn't be trusted, and Yolanda was innocent of murder. I mean, sure, she might have received some stolen property or something, but she didn't kill anybody. The prosecution brought it home in closing arguments, stating that Yolanda Hardin had tricked an elderly man into letting her in his home, strangled him, and then stole his wife's jewelry and a credit card. The prosecutor shifted the focus on the innocent man who had lost his life. According to the North County Times, Deputy District Attorney at the time, Robert Stein, choked back tears as he said, 
a very, very kind and decent man, Alfred Polchow. He let a stranger come into his home and paid with his life. And the jury agreed. Yolanda Harden was found guilty of first-degree murder, robbery, burglary, and escape. She was later sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Harden filed several appeals, which have all been denied. She's currently housed at the Central California Women's Facility and known as inmate W96200 and will be for the rest of her life. Alfred and Marion were reunited once again in 2006 when Marion joined him on the other side. They're buried together in the Riverside National Cemetery with a headstone that reads, Alfred C. Polchow, Major, U.S. Air Force, World War II and Korea, September 28, 1915 to October 2, 2000. Marion T. Polchow, October 4, 1920 to December 5, 2006. It's inscribed at the bottom, Beloved Grandparents. Alfred Christian Polchow fought in both the Great War and the Forgotten War. He shouldn't have died fighting for his life once again at the hands of someone he didn't even know over a check card and a few pieces of jewelry. His life was worth so much more than that. Alfred should have lived out the rest of his days in peace with the woman he loved, surrounded by their grandbabies, hanging out with his old Air Force buddies, and enjoying the things he had worked so hard for his entire life. Thank you for your service, Major Polchow. May your sacrifices never be forgotten. There's not much additional information on this case. However, I did find a photo of Marion Polchow which will be posted on my Instagram at least underscore of these and my Facebook at least of these podcasts. New episodes drop every Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button because I'll be bringing you an all new case next week and you don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.